You are now listening to the Miguel Sanchez World Podcast. First, I would like to thank you for coming by and listening to my podcast. And second, I would like to ask you if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe wherever you love listening to podcasts. And please give me five stars on Apple Podcasts specifically. That will help me and the podcast grow. So now on to the show. Of course, after our paid sponsors. Joe, what's up, man? How you been? I'm good, man. I'm trying to stay sane in this whole like situation, but I'm busy. Knowledge House is launching. We're doing like active recruitment for our new cohort that's coming up. So right, we've just been right. focusing on that. Yeah, we're going to be doing a, a full 12 month job training cohort starting in September. So we've been recruiting since like the beginning of the year. We're looking to rec- recruit. Recruitment's actually closing out the end of May. If anyone's seeing this that's interested, feel free to hit me up. If there's any questions, go to the knowledge at the knowledge house on IG and feel free to ask any questions to the info or like DM or whatever. Just because we are wrapping up the application process right now and they're going to get into the pre training in the summer. And then from there, it's going to be straight just work until they get money, basically. Cool. So the way I like to start the program is. I like to, to remember how I met the person. Then we talk mm-hmm. about how they got into entrepreneurship, which I, I know your journey, but I want to, I want you to tell the people and then yeah. about what you got going on, which you, you spoke about, but we'll go deeper into it. And then we just start talking about things, especially from your side. What do you think the skills of the future that people need to know, whether they're young, old, whatever. All right. So let's start out with how we met. So me and Joe met at the Sunshine Sweets, they were called. Yeah, the Sunshine Bronx Business Incubator back in 12, right? Yeah, yeah, 2012. So what what happened was I had an office downtown, and the group that had that office, they decided to make an office in the Bronx. And I, I was really cool with the owner, and I told him, look, I'm from the Bronx. He was like, why don't you come up and help me? And if you come up and help me, I'll give you free rent. So I was like... I stopped listening after free. I'm there. <laughs> so I went up there and, and I spent a lot of time with him. I'm figuring out how to get the space going. And then you were his first hire. Mm-hmm. He hired you to run the space and bring more people in and stuff like that. So I met you and I was like, man, you're really good at this sales thing. And you're like, oh, whatever. But then you decided to learn how to code. And I remember you practicing coding literally while you were working, waiting. See? That's why I don't use it. Yeah, already, son. It took five minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah, nah, you know what's, you know what's hilarious, actually, Miguel? Like, you, like, that was my first job, like, out of, like, going to Baruch and stuff. So, literally, like, you knew me from, like, my entire career, essentially. <laughs> um, nah, but yeah, that definitely, it was a wild experience. I, like, I think that I wouldn't have gotten to the point where I am with Knowledge House if it wasn't for that experience for a bunch of different reasons, but... I think the big one was like, I had this crazy vision of like, and we talked about this back in the day. Like I had this crazy vision of, yo, it, it'll be like the hood Silicon Valley. Like people can make a lot of money out here, put everybody on. It's a way to really build up the local economy in a way that's not like, like half-assed. It's not, it's not like something small. It's like major industries are being affected. We could get into more like the automation and stuff later, but like, basically I, I had this vision, but what I realized working with the businesses there is like, there were a lot of people with great ideas. But like the infrastructure, the talent infrastructure, yeah, it just wasn't there. If you wanted to hire, you either had to outsource or you had to go into the city and shell out a bunch of cash, basically. You actually saw that. And I used to have the conversations with you specifically because I had, in the beginning, I had two offices. I had the Manhattan space and I had the Bronx one. And I would tell people, hey, I have this opportunity. 
And people would be like, I'll only work on it if I can work in the Manhattan office, not the Bronx office. And I remember yeah. being like, man, I'm going to have to close the, the Manhattan office because I'll never get anyone to come up here if they have that option. So once I closed it, people still didn't want to come to the Bronx. So I was like, damn, people are still scared of the Bronx. So I said, all right, I got to start finding people in the, in the area around us to bring in for some of my projects. And I, I think this was even before you, you guys started the Knowledge House. And it was no, there was no talent, man. It was like, and I thought there was no talent. They just, there wasn't an ecosystem for them to get into that they could find people like us. So that's when we started having like a lot of conversations about like, how can we start making this happen? And, and you guys did an amazing job. We've both done a bunch of things since. So why don't you talk about in the beginning, I like, so you said it, you came out of high school, out of college. And that was your first job. Did you have any other entrepreneurship experience before that? So here's the thing. I, I, I went to Baruch. I went to CUNY. And um, like I took entrepreneurship, which in retrospect was really dumb. It's like, like I had to go to school to get a degree in entrepreneurship. It's like, what am I going to not hire myself because I don't have a degree? Like, like what happened was like I was chilling with a lot of people who were, had like a million hustles basically. And like they would always talking about, they would always be talking about all oh, their latest get money scheme. To give you an example, like, I graduated 2011. I knew about Bitcoin in 2009. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So this is like the kind of conversations that I was just around. And I had built up a rep, like my people who know me know like my IG name and like my email, my personal email is like Joe Knows. And I actually got that nickname in college because I, I would just always be like, whatever they were talking about, I would pop in and I would say some, like I would add to the conversation basically. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people like, like mess with me as just as someone who like had good thoughts on whatever they were working on. Like my two sets was always like valuable in my particular circle that I was in. And I enjoyed doing that. And it was like random because I never ran a business before. I'm just some dude. Mostly I, I, my background, like before, before I went to Brook, I was doing graffiti and like wanting to open a tattoo shop. So I have an art background really. And even that's self-taught. So I just enjoyed doing it. People like valued my opinion. So then when I, so the dude that was Penny, the dude that was running the, the, the Bronx space or had started it with the city, like he basically, he put out like to the Baruch cause he, he was like on the board of Baruch or something. I don't know, something like that. But basically I just got it in my, in my inbox one day that they were doing this thing in the Bronx. At the time I wasn't even living anywhere near the Bronx. I was living all the way out in Southside in Queens. Oh. So, but I was just like, yo, this is a crazy opportunity. Who am I? I'm some rando. I'm going to go and I'm going to run a thing. Honestly, that was like a crazy opportunity for me. It was doing something that like I already had like personal experience doing with like my friends and like my circle or whatever. So I just took the opportunity and it didn't pay well. You know what I mean? Like they had me bouncing around from one office to the other. They had me, they got me a job with one of the startups and a job with them. So they didn't have to pay me full time. So it was like, it was crazy, especially in the beginning. When that, 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 like we could spend like sure a whole learned. hour talking just about that shit. But, <laughs> but you learned some things about- Yeah, no, 100%. Right? <laughs> 100%, I learned a lot of, of what not to do. Well, the way I looked at it was like this. I wanted to start, I knew I didn't want to work with somebody. So I was like, I could either put my own bread up, which I didn't have a lot of at that time and like go broke. Or I could get a position and just watch everyone else try to do this shit nah, and nah. basically learn from all their mistakes. Cause like I'm in a building with every, like when I left, it was like packed. It was like, you got 60 businesses in there trying to start their business. And I'm just looking at all this stuff. And I tried to add value where I can. I was helping people with CRM setups. After I learned how to code, I was able to do like websites for people and stuff like that. But, but yeah, so like, that was like one thing. So like working with startups was like one whole thing. The other thing was like, before I even get, like met you and went uptown or whatever, I had started to teach myself how to code while I was in college. I didn't go to school for computer science. I took one 
computer science class in my entire four years and it wasn't like a coding class it was just like the history of computer science oh. I, I don't even it was like that it was so it was more like from a conceptual standpoint this is what the, the technology that's coming up they were talking this is like 2009 so they're talking about like rfids they were talking about expert systems and, and stuff like that but essentially like my man was on his startup shit and was basically told me he was like yo if you want to eat with me we need to learn how to code up to that point like i had always been pretty good with computers but from like a I guess like a piracy standpoint, you know what I'm saying? I was torrenting mad hard and like doing, doing stuff like, um, getting like a virtual a CD drives to run like video games and stuff like that. Yeah. But, but I never coded anything. It always seemed foreign to me, but, but basically home, my homeboy was basically just, yo, you gotta do this or it's a dub for you. If you're trying to get money with me, you'd be like, you gotta do this or it's a dub for you. So I just, I was just like, all right, I started forcing myself how to code to learn how to code. The thing is though, even when you met me, I had probably already been doing that for a year, but I still didn't know what I was doing. I was just like. I was reading a book on Python. I'm like, I don't like, I get this, but I don't really know what the hell this is used for. It was very like, I mean, it wasn't until I started building projects really that so I, I understood what it was. I want to make sure everybody understands that. that's common. What Joe is saying, it takes yeah. a long time. Even, even me, when I first started to do code, I was say, well, I didn't go to school for it. I didn't do, I just said, this is money here. Let me figure this out. So I started yeah. sitting and trying to do tutorials and I don't understand this. And and for a year like you, and then it finally hit where I was like, oh, I get it. It didn't hit for me for a minute. And the reason it be, it is because I'm impatient. So I got really sick of learning like data types and what a function is. I was like, this is boring. This, I'm not seeing anything out of this. So what I did was I started learning frameworks without even actually really knowing how to code. So I was putting together like project, like full project MVP projects that did stuff. And I got it to do stuff by copying and pasting code and like tweaking things here and there. But I had no idea what half the things I was doing were, to be honest with you. I was just throwing stuff together and it would work. And I'd just be like, okay, it worked. That's normal, I think. I think part of what scares people is they live in that area and they say, oh, the same for me. But you yeah. got to get to the point where you're like, this is for me because it's for everybody right now. Not to say everybody has to be a coder, though. I like to make yeah, sure yeah. that everybody understands you don't got to be a coder, but you should understand the 100%. principles and the under and like what it takes to make something. You don't got to know how to build it all the way unless you really are into that and you could do well doing it. But mm -hmm. I think everybody, I don't think there's an option anymore. Everybody needs to understand this. Or, or oh, for sure. Like technology literacy. And I don't mean like digital literacy, like how to send an email and stuff like that. That's a given. Like at this point, that's a given. <laughs> but unfortunately, not for everybody. But I think that if you want to, even if you've got like a bullshit office job, you need to know how to do that stuff. But I think understanding how the actual systems work, that's what people need to figure. Because I feel like, yo, everyone's putting their information on these systems. They're all being stored in like data warehouses. Who knows who has access to these things? They're monetizing your information. You don't know how they're monetizing your information. You don't know who's seeing what. They're capturing information when you don't know they're capturing information because they're recording your conversations all the time. And not to be paranoid, but that's really what it is. You can talk about, I need to clean my crib. And next thing you know, you're getting ads for Swiffer. And yeah, there's, and that's like known technology. That's not like conspiracy <laughs> theory stuff. You know what I mean? Nope, nope. It's official. So, no, 100%. So like, you're in the marketing space. So you know that like double time too. But, but basically, yeah, I was just looking at the situation. I need to understand this stuff. This is affecting my life, right? Also, I, like for me, the thing that really motivated me to do it was number one, the ability to create products because I didn't want to, like I said, I didn't want to work for another person. And then number two, and more importantly, it's like, even if I got to get a job and work with people, I want to get paid mad bread. I sure. don't want to wear a suit. 
I'm not a suit guy. That's not what I do. You know what I mean? Like I'm I, like I'm a creative. I feel really constrained if I can't like express myself how I want to. Like those factors made it so like all right, if I'm really talking about doing this, like art's very subjective. It's hard to guaranteed not be broke doing art. Yep. So I'm gonna do this computer stuff because like I could guarantee not be broke doing this. That's really what kind of motivated me. I had the same exact thing. Really, I came from art. So I went to art and design high school. I really, I didn't even apply to a college. Like I was just like whatever. Then I got into this, this game. Like luckily, so people are already asking. So why don't you talk about what you do now? Because it will lead into the question. Which the question is: If somebody wanted to learn how to code right now, what would you recommend? Okay, I think it depends on the person. So like I'll talk, I'll talk about what Knowledge House does and then I'll talk about other options too. So basically Knowledge House is a pro, like we do several types of programs, everything from introductory programs, exploratory programs, and then job training programs. So the exploratory programs is like we go into high schools, we'll like show kids how to code like little websites or whatever. We'll show them like mess with robots and like Arduinos and stuff like that. And that's really just to get them excited about technology because like they need to be, like our community needs to be getting into STEM if we want to not be like completely asked out in the next like 10 years. Yeah, years ago. So. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. So that was definitely a fact. That was like one thing. Then the other thing is the intro program. So the intro program is to get people like up to speed on what technology looks like, how it's used, and how you can like build web simple websites and just kind of get people being able to do productive things with technology in a creative way. And then the job training program started as a advanced, like advanced programming class, but has transformed from a three-month experience to a year-long experience that has like a paid internship attached to it. So the way it works right now, it's a it's three three-month phases part-time because you know what we found in, in the population that we serve. So we are we're a free program. We don't charge the participants. We're only for low-income New Yorkers. So the vast majority of our students come from uptown, but we got students, I've had students from Staten Island, I've had students from East New York, I've had students from like all over the place. The thing is, for us knowing that number one, people got to travel. Well, people had to travel before. Mm -hmm. uh, and also the fact that like a lot of our students, like this isn't full stack. This isn't general assembly. They're not living off of like their parents' money. They're not living off their spouse's money. They're not living off money. They saved up while they were a lawyer for 10 years. Yeah. They're, they're basically living off of part-time jobs for the, one, the ones that are working. So we couldn't like to design our program for their success. It needed to be a part-time program. And to, to make sure they got the same experience um, that they would have gotten like a full-time program, we just extended the timeline now for them. So we're doing two tracks right now. They're going to start in September. One is a data science track. So that's basically how to work with large data sets, run statistical analysis on like tons and tons of data. So we're talking about like so, so thousands on. of rows. I'm going to stop you just in case people watching don't know what data science. A lot of what you said is super buzzword tech stuff. So I'm going to simplify it. Data science is... Everybody heard that the data problem with Facebook, right? When they stole all that data, they won the election. So the way they won the election was through data scientists. They looked at all that information. Then they figured out ways of manipulating that information to get more vote. So data science is when you look at information and you figure out through code, what are the opportunities? So that is a huge job of the future. Yeah. You got to think every time Amazon is recommending you to buy something yeah. that's based on data crunching other people who bought similar things and what's the probability that you would also like this exactly. same thing with netflix you got to think netflix is recording everything you watch every hour you watch it how many episodes you watch in a row what is your average time screen time on those things does it go to does the, the screen you know, does it go to sleep and then like you got to think like just for the people watching this it's like the math that goes you could easily say what's the average time that someone looked at a screen and you may think oh that's pretty simple you know what i mean you just do averages or whatever but what happens when we're talking about like millions of people every single day you know what i mean no human can do that so you need to learn how to program to be able to like run through that data 
Yep. All right. Sorry, I cut you off. But, but go ahead, keep going. Yeah. So the data science is one side of things. That's the the Python programming languages, which was my first language. And then this other class is a, a web development and cross-platform development class. So that's basically how to build web applications that you can then port over to the app stores using React Native, which is just like a framework that Facebook made to create applications. Yeah. The goal really there is for, for people to learn the entire product development lifecycle. They'll be able to create their own products, but they'll also be able to work um, for product-based companies. So, so the person who asked this question, she doesn't live in New York. So what would a person outside of New York that can take your class, your course, what can they do? What if you're somewhere else? Um, I, it depends on the type of person. So like for me, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it a hundred. For me, I would not last in my own class because <laughs> I don't like class. I don't me like either. being told to do things. You know what I'm saying? I think some people need support. Some people need a community. Some people need regularity in a schedule. And that's really what Knowledge House provides. Like, honestly, anyone could go online and learn this stuff for free. Like, it doesn't take, it, it, it's not like we have secret knowledge that no one else has. Like, yeah, you know, that, that is so. I want to touch on that because that's what I was going to say. Right now, YouTube is amazing. You can literally Google anything and they will show you a person literally typing out word for word the code. So you can learn it that way. But some people, like Joe was saying, need a little bit more structure. So if you need more structure, I would personally practice trying to figure it out on your own on YouTube first. Because if you figure out how to do that's like unlocking the cheat code. Because then you can learn anything, anytime you want. Because it's there and the world is going to keep going in that direction. But if you need structure and you're that type of person... I think one of the, the, the ones I've seen that are pretty good are- I, I like Treehouse. I like uh, Coursera. You know what I mean? Oh, I've I used Treehouse personally. Treehouse, Treehouse is pretty good. You got to pay for that though. Back in the day, they let it be free if you had a Queens library card, but now they're charging. So I don't know. Which one is that? Uh, Treehouse. So, um, but that's again, New York focus. I think that's most- I don't No, think that's, they're, they're, all their teachers are from Seattle. So okay, I think okay. they're based in Portland or something. So they're definitely not New York focused. So, Khan Academy too, C-K-H-A-N Academy, they have a pretty good structured online class that, that teaches you how to code. And the guy just raised a bunch of money because his, his stuff works well. Yeah. So that's what I would do. I, and maybe I'll find some more links and post that up on the page. But the, one, the one thing I would say though, for anyone who's trying to teach themselves, look, even if you take a class, even if you come to Knowledge House, like if you're low income, we'll be happy to have you. You know what I'm saying? You got to pass through our, our recruitment process, which is pretty brolic. But if you're able to make it through, we'll take care of you. We'll plug you in with jobs and all that. But the thing that you got to remember is you will have to learn to teach yourself, whether you're learning in my class or you're learning on the internet. You need to teach yourself because the stuff changes all the time. Yep. And if you if you think, oh, I did Knowledge House, I'm good. Like you good for two years, maybe. Uh, and the, then it's some whole other shit going on and yeah. you gotta relearn everything. So that's another great point because when I started coding, I was learning a language that doesn't even exist anymore. And I made a bunch of money doing it. And I was one of the best doing it. What, Flash? Flash. Uh, yeah, yeah. And now it doesn't exist at all. And it was like a major part of the industry. And that could happen yeah, Apple, anytime. Apple put the kibosh on that, man. Yeah. So, so that's, that's what you're saying is true. I think even once you learn how to program, you need to first learn how you learn. What's the best mm -hmm. way for you to learn and, and make sure you're constantly learning. Even if, yeah. if, if, it is, if it is a class environment, make sure you're taking a class a year on whatever it Yo. is. You need to keep learning. Honestly, I tell my students all the time. If you know how like people ask you, like, oh, how I lose weight? Then people be like, diet and exercise and it's gone. <laughs> they ask me, like, how do I learn this? How do I learn that? I'm like, yo, read the docs. 
been a just thousand read the documentation. Just read, like literally read the documentation. It's a manual for using this stuff. So like literally just read that. And then if you want to see how it's used in real life, go on GitHub, look up whatever the thing you're, you want to learn about is, look at projects using that thing. Once you read the docs, you'll be able to look at the projects and more or less know what's going on. So that, it's like- Even that takes a certain level of self-discipline though, right? Oh yeah. Uh, I'm saying not. once you get a little bit proficient in the basics though, like you could do stuff like that. You so what I, mean? I think is that year you spoke about where it was like you beating your head against the wall. Yeah. That's when you start to like form that discipline and you start to get like muscle memory about they, all these coding language, all these coding languages want you to learn them. So they're very yeah. similar to make sure if you're coming from something else, it's easy to understand. So once you start understanding the baseline, you can learn other languages, no problem. But you have to get that baseline of understanding. It's, and lo it's logic. It's logical yeah. concepts, basically. You know what I mean? And, and I'm not saying logic like, oh, it's common sense. Like, it takes time to learn it. But it is like the academic definition of logic, where it's like a logic class. You feel me? So I, I think that like when it comes to a couple of things for people who might be interested in doing this stuff, like whether or not you do knowledge house, like you are going to feel dumb. You're going to feel dumb. You're going to feel dumb. There's no getting around it. It's like when you go to the gym, if you go to the gym and you're like, you try to run and you ain't like, I don't be running like that. So if I try to run right now, I probably have an asthma attack. So I can't feel if I run every day for the next four, four months, I'm going to be having an asthma attack. I'm not, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, you got to learn to embrace the process a little bit when it comes to learning this stuff. You know what I mean? And not be too hard on yourself uh, and not be scared of it. Cause it, it looks scary, but honestly, I'll put it to you like this. How I really feel is. I've never encountered a concept, like some of the heavier mathematical concepts or like quantum computing concepts are a little bit meaty, you know what I mean? No, but I've never seen a concept that was like so hard that's wow, I can't, like no one could wrap their head around this. Most of it is pretty simple. It's just, it's just wrapped in so much like jargon that I like, think, I think one of the, the, the major things I came across where, and I always tell people this now is once I realize they are trying to make it as easy as possible for me to understand this. Instead of fighting that, you start to like try to figure out, okay, why is this what it is? Because I remember early on, and because before, remember, I, I started before there was a YouTube, before there was mm -hmm. Google. So I had to be in books and I, I didn't have YouTube to ask somebody or anything like that. So one of the things I had to get to is like, why is this the first thing they're teaching me? Why is this second thing they're teaching me? And then I started to understand, okay, and then I, another language. It's all very similar. You just yeah. have to start like reverse engineering what you think they were thinking. And then you start to under really understand how to make your own stuff because you, you're getting the process, the steps. And it, it really changed the way you think about everything, really. Yeah. It's like you said, logic. Yo, actually, I think that's the real value in learning. There's a couple of Look. I'm not just saying learn to code to learn to code. Like I'm not one of those people that's all oh, you need to do this. I think there's a lot of benefits to it. Obviously the bread, number one. Yeah. Number two, it's not gonna go anywhere anytime soon. It may change, but it's not gonna vanish. And like a lot of the jobs that are going to actually vanish, it's people coding stuff that is making them vanish. Yeah. So yeah. that's the other thing. <laughs> the, yeah. the, um, I, I used to joke, cause I used to work on a team in the city, like a tech team in the city. I'm like, oh, you know how Trump is always talking about all oh, Spanish people coming and taking your jobs? It's like, I'm the Spanish person coming to take your <laughs> job, bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, no, no. And I, I tell this too a lot. Like right now, because of this COVID thing, a lot of things are being automated. I literally had a conversation with someone last week that said there was a company that they know they were about to invest in. They went from a hundred employees to five in the COVID pandemic. Cause they automated 95 jobs because they had to survive in a way. So 
this is happening more and more. And who who's the five that they kept? I bet you they're the top programmers. Yeah, you know? of course. Look, you gotta look think of it like this. We're talking about Amazon warehouses right now. Everybody's getting their packages late. Amazon tight. Amazon's losing money every day that people don't get their stuff on time. So it's like they already were investing in robots to run their inventory. That shit was happening before any of this stuff. Okay. Now you got a company that just how much money they're about to touch a trillion dollars or something crazy <laughs> like that. So it's, what's gonna stop them from being like, oh, we're our bottleneck is humans. Let's get them out of here. Cause like, already, that's one of the major reasons Amazon could charge so much less than everybody else. They don't have that many humans in that factory already. Yeah. It's, it's very little. They're only having humans at the parts where they're robots that can't do it yet. And yeah. they're definitely investing on robots that can do whatever the humans can't. And once they're ready, whoop, gone. Yeah, 100%. And a lot of people look at that and be like, wow, that's terrifying. But the truth. Yo, first of all, it is what it is, number one. Like, things have never been easy for people in our community anyway. So uh, mm -hmm. I'm looking at this stuff like, all right, we got enough. It doesn't take a million years to learn this stuff. Yeah. It just takes dedication. And, and like I said, it's important to, to understand the systems, even if you're not like trying to code. Like you want to design, that's cool. If you want to sell things, that's cool. If you want to do customer service stuff, like that's cool. Like all that stuff is cool. A lot of person to person things can't really be automated because it's like, it's hard to get a bot to do customer service well, unless we like hit the singularity. But they tested that I couldn't tell we're human yet. And sounds yeah. and all that. So it's, it's no, that's true. That's true. But I think there's like levels to that. You feel me? Yeah. And cause, cause we're not. We have not reached artificial intelligence yet. I think Ray Kurzweil said like 2040 or something, but you know, who knows? Yeah. To me, what I think is, so chatbots, chatbot is a thing like you go to a website, you're chatting and you think you're chatting with a person. Sometimes that's not a person. They're doing that now with audio. Like I can send you videos where I can show you videos where it's a conversation and then they ask, what's wrong with the robot? And you can't. Yeah, but you know but something though? Like that's true, but ultimately that is a beefed up version of like phone directories that already existed because at a certain point they're going to transfer you to a human like they're not sure, unless sure, it's, sure. it's something very straightforward that they plan for they're not going to be able to give you that think about that job think about that job that used to be yeah. that middle person that directed you to somewhere that's been gone for a while but every level I, this is what I, it's funny because i'm like the guy at the party where they come to me and they're like are we fucked and i'm like yes we are <laughs> and then like, what should i do and i'm like if your job right now, if you can think, can a robot do my job and easily be like, oh yeah, definitely, then you need to start looking for another job right away because definitely there's some robot that's yeah. probably doing it already. So 100%. start changing your career now. Don't wait for the robot to take your job, right? Yo, and honestly, there's another benefit. So like I was saying, that's 100% true. So like I tell people that all the time, people don't want to hear it, but it's the truth. The other thing that I like about programming which is different than I think any other technical skill you can learn is that it's learning to express your thoughts on a computer, to yep. take your mind and encode the shit into a computer. So what that means is it's formalizing the process of thought and thinking through problem solving. Yep. So I, I don't know what your opinion is on this, but I feel like our, especially in lower income, you know, communities, they teach you not to think all the time. Since you're young, they teach you not to think they don't teach you logical problem solving. They don't want people mm -hmm. to logically problem solve anything because they'll figure a lot of stuff that's messed <laughs> up out if they do that. So it's, this is a skill set that's monetizable, meaning that you can make a lot of bread with it. But at the same time, you're also learning to think logically, which not only has its benefits as being a programmer and going through like career development and like negotiating a salary and understanding where you are in an organization, all those professional things, but just from like society perspective, 
if it's one thing the hood needs right now, it's people who could think. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because things are things are moving really fast, and not thinking is not going to work out well in the long run. No, nope, no. Nope. And from what the way I see it is, we have to be able to look at opportunity and understand a way to solve it without hoping someone comes and saves us. Like they're not going to. And they're not because they're not going to. But now, that, but that is such a huge opportunity for us. It's not even funny. If you can figure out in wherever you live, there's a huge problem. Nobody's solving it. But if I created this little this app that'll do it, and don't think about it as technology. I like to tell people, think about the user story where this problem gets solved, and then go to technologists and see mm-hmm. how that it can make that technology do whatever the problem you're trying to solve. And- it's funny. So we actually integrate the entire product development cycle into the class. And we've always done that. So we, we started doing like when we first started, if you remember, you were literally volunteering with us. Yeah. It was tech and entrepreneurship because the goal was like, we're going to show you how to build stuff and then how to it's like, you need to be building things for a reason. You don't just build things to build things. Yeah. And I think that even now that's something that I'm happy we've been able to take with us. Now we're like a job training program now. So it's less focused on like knowing becoming an entrepreneur necessarily and the reason that we do that we change that up is because like all right look like you said no one's going to come in and save us no venture capitalist is going to fall out of the sky on 138th street and just start shelling out money to everybody with the app idea what you need to do is you need to build your own stuff and you need to sell and you need to make revenue right away with whatever product you're building but the thing is like how are you going to build a team how are you going to sustain yourself through that process you need money you don't have money how are you going to do that you can't so that's why getting a job is like the first step. I always look at it like, yo, my goal for my students is not for them to just work for somebody for the rest of their lives. My goal for my students is, yo, go get your corporate gig. Stack, and if you want to make your own thing, you could easily, if you live in a home for the first year you work in, stack 100 racks if you're making like a buck 20. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So I, like, you know. So I came, I, I think what you're saying right now, I want to make sure people understand that the opportunity of technology and entrepreneurship is a money one, but there's other ways, right? Like you said, you can raise your own money by working. There is venture capital. It is becoming more and more friendly to us. And that's what we do at Meta Bronx. We're helping minorities, women, yeah. founders raise money. It's not easy though. It's very difficult. There is crowdfunding now. I'm actually working with a team that's, that's that, and we had this conversation many times. I'm getting a team together to help us with our companies to get crowdfunding. Those are different options of raising money. The fourth one, like you're going to get a better deal from a VC if you got cash flow. So, 100%. So, equity is a way to get to cash flow without giving up money. If I told you, look, I can't afford to pay you, but every hour you work is towards equity in my business, that can get you somebody that would cost you a certain amount of money up front. So, I've been reading this book called Slicing Pie. You should really check it out. It, it really breaks down the best way of doing that. It's mm-hmm. a software and everything. It's really good. Yeah, I definitely want to check that out, especially because like Knowledge House is doing a lot of internal product development also. So we're launching a, a learning management system pretty soon that we're going to run all our classes off of that was built in-house. And then we got a job matching board that we're working on that's going to be launching probably in the summer too. Um, and this is all, I only hire my alums. So this is all like from the community too. And I think that's like a very important thing. And we've definitely had this conversation before, but it's like the people in these rooms making stuff to sell us are not us. They don't know what the hell we're going through. They, they can't comprehend a lot of things that we that, that are just regular things that people take for granted that people would know. You know what I'm saying? So I think there's a huge opportunity for well, people in our community to make things. And also these companies, like, they're not dumb. Like, they know that they're not, I'm sure that anyone who's honest in these organizations is going to have to admit they're not accessing the market in lower income, like, in the hood as much as they could be because they don't understand it enough to really access it. 
So I'm going to bring up a conversation I had in a, a previous episode with Marlon. Who we spoke to a, a, an investor early on about Nature and the, the investor, one of the largest <laughs> angel investors in New York City. He said, nobody cares about that demographic. And that was shocking to us. But what it made me and Marlon talk about internally was. Ask Nike if no one cares about that demographic. Say it again. Ask Nike if no one cares about that demographic. So, so hundred percent. And, but that's a huge opportunity for people like us that do care about that demographic, because if they're not caring about it, it's open to people like us that do care about it, but we got to have the skill sets, have the, the opportunity, the networks to be able to make that happen. So that's part yeah. of what me and Joe have been working on for yeah. say, forever. Basically, you know. yeah. right, so now let's go into top three skills. You say pre, I guess right now you should try to learn if you're a person without a job, what would you say they are? Okay. So if you're, oh, how heavy duty are we trying to go with this person? Like how dedicated is this person? I'm saying, look, you're fucked and you're willing to do whatever it takes. All right. If you're willing to do whatever it takes, I would learn how to code. You might as well just do it, honestly. If you're stuck in your crib and you got nothing else to what do. If, all right, so, so of course, I agree. That should be number one. But what if- But, but not if you don't want to go that route, fine. Okay, so if you don't want to go that route, what I would say is, it depends on what you're into, what your natural like inclinations are. If you're someone who likes like art and design, you might want to get the Adobe certs. Learn the Adobe software and get the Adobe certs. If you're someone who like sales just in case they don't know what that means so adobe you everybody heard photoshop right everybody yeah. knows photoshop adobe is the company that made photoshop and they make all these other design programs development motion graphics all these different things so by getting an adobe certification it shows potential employers that this software yeah another thing you could do uh, like, like all right so i'll give you an example so i have a friend of mine who, who has a tattoo so he used to have his own tattoo shop. Now he like rents a, a desk or a de rents a chair at, a, at another shop that he knows, you know, like it's a man's shop or whatever. And he has business management experience. So I actually worked with him on building like a booking app with some of my alumni. I actually met him through my alumni. And his thing was, oh, I want to get out of tattooing because I can't do shit right now. We're, we're closed down. What can I get into? I'm not going to learn how to, you know, dude's in his 40s. He's not going to learn how to code. So what I told him is like, look, you got... Exit, like you got years of experience running a tattoo shop. You, you could flip that and get a, a, a PNP, which is a project management certification and art, make the argument that like your 10,000 hours was like managing those shops. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And that is something that people can do. So it's like- Project management is a way to be around tech in a way that you don't need to be as technical. You should be, you should yes. understand though, because the more you understand, the easier it is to manage tech. Of but course, you do it without knowing. Yeah, and also like, like project managers don't only work on tech either; they work on everything. So cool. we always talk about it in the context of technology cool. because we build technology shit. But people like it's basically like a foreman. You know? yeah. Everything that needs to happen and making sure it happens. There yeah, is a more and more technology being used to do that to make it more seamless. So that's why you want to understand whatever's out there for your mm -hmm. industry. So let's like you said, let's say you're you want to get in the construction industry as project management. There's definitely software right now that exists to help yeah. people. So you can find that, look that up. Another thing, any, yo, honestly, people discount this shit so much, but any trade, bro, green construction, green roofs are mandated in New York city now. Yeah. Like right now it's slow for construction, but they're not making robots to do like heavy duty. Like 
they make machines to lift up beams and shit like that, but they're not making like a robot that's gonna do like an electrician's job or an HVAC no, specialist no, job no. or any of that stuff anytime soon. Everyone. So not everybody wants to sit in front of a computer all day. You feel me? Like those jobs are still valid. You know what I mean? I know people personally work in HVAC that got into the union that are making like six figures easy. You know what I'm saying? So HVAC is a big one. I think that one's not going away because. Even with the computer world, you need HVAC. So mm -hmm. one thing you said, though, that I want to make sure, even if you are in your 40s, you can mm -hmm. learn how to code. I know yeah, of course. The, the, it, the issue is, and I'm just being keeping it in a buck, like, I don't think a lot, like, a lot of, all right, coming from our, our communities, like, we're jumping over mad hurdles already. Like, sure. people are, like, do not hire, people <laughs> will hire people who are not white, but, like, I'm not going to say that there's, like, some sort of ban on people who are not white or, like, Asian, but it's hard to meet. It's just hard to make it happen. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not as easy. I always used to tell, I used to tell you this. And I used to tell anybody who come in, we got to be 10 times better. You got to come out and you're going to be so much better than the competition. It's not even going to be an option for them to pick you. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, it's, it's that. And in fact, that we're competing. Remember, we're not just competing with like people from, we're competing with people from coming in from Asia on certain visas. And cheaper. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And the thing is that like headhunting and like poaching is so big in the tech space that getting somebody and making them get tied to you for five years because their visa sponsored by your company. Like you, you basically got a captive yes. workforce essentially. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Not they're getting paid, but it's, if they're getting paid, if, if they got a job with LinkedIn and Microsoft and they're not getting paid that great and Google wants to come and double their salary, they can't do that. Yep. But that's what you know I mean. What I'm saying? I know they're getting paid, but I know it's not a great wage. It's not what they really deserve. Yeah. And they go anywhere. If they hate their job, they're fucked. They got to still keep You, you got to think of it like this. If they're willing to spend five racks or 10 racks or whatever it is, like sponsoring somebody, they're saving more than that. Hell yeah. Oh, so. And, and I, I've actually done that, actually. I don't know if you remember. I brought in a guy to work at Math Ideation from Jordan. Jordan. Oh, yeah. I remember him. And now, yeah, yeah, yeah. now he's working. Now he got a sick, he got a crazy job. He worked at multiple startups after working with me. But he came in. I helped him. He helped me. He built stuff for me. And then I got him on a, a good path. And he's good now. But yeah. I, um, but he came to the he came to the table with some skills. He had, yeah, of course. And, and, and he just spent time developing it. Yeah, 100%. Look, at the end of the day, your market worth is what you can do you know what i'm saying so it's like the more skills you have the more money you're gonna make but but back to your, your original question like what can people do i think well, project management's an option design and stuff like that is an option i think that even if you're like yo i'm not trying to do none of this i want to get a regular job learn all the virtual work tools you can because if you get to a job and they're like, yo, we're going to have a Zoom meeting. And you're like, what, Zoom? <laughs> it's quiet for you. You know what I'm saying? So it's yeah. like, that is important. And, and I know it's easy to be like, in the world that we be working in a lot, it's like everybody knows Slack. You know what I'm saying? But like, people don't know this shit. Like, you talk to people, they're like, what? What's that? So the, the whole DOE just went through this. I got kids in school, and they all had to just go online. Right. They were like, what? So Knowledge House is a nonprofit, and because Knowledge House is a nonprofit, we're part of like convenings with other nonprofits. And these guys do great work, so no like shade on them or whatever. But we'll go in a convening with a bunch of other organizations that've been around since like the '90s, and we'll talk about using Slack, bro. And they will look at us like we're from the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'll dead look at us like, what is? I'm just like, bro, like for real, like it's IRC yeah. chat, man. The show is no, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I I literally just had this conversation. Like two days ago, trust me, I get it. And we're, we're I'm in the same boat. We have we both have technology nonprofits. We work in different sectors. Joe works on training. Joe and his partner Gerald and work on training on job skills. 
we work on experience. We try to get the experience, and then we also work on nonprofit space, specifically in the Bronx. And it, the nonprofit space is one of the most archaic, but so are a lot of other businesses. And and right now, this just put us in a time where we have to say, if this happens again and you're not up on your tech, that's your fault. You can't. Yeah, you can't I mean, now. Dude, do, you remember, do you remember all the conversations about, like, digitizing the market, the Hunts Point market? Like, those businesses are doing things on paper still, you feel yeah. me? And they're making, yeah. they're, and you know, and you know, mil- billions of dollars run through that market every year. Eight million a week. Yeah. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, so, no, all right. So, we got 15 minutes left. What I want to make sure anybody watching gets out of this is, of course, code. I, I think that's like the default. And I think people want to learn it. They just feel like, it's, it's like scary. Hard. It's just like entrepreneurship in a way. Oh, that's not for me. That, that's you. But I think, what are some ways you've convinced people to get into coding that may be thinking they are not yeah. the type of person that codes? Um, I think, like, the way that I like to, like, all right, look, I think that technology is could be complex, but number one, everyone uses it all the time. So you could easily relate to something that somebody uses. I've been talking about IG and how the registry process for like IG with all my students. And they're like, oh, that's what happens. And I'm like, yeah, that's what happens. Real quick from, from Danielle Gallen. She wants to know, she, she said it's intimidating. So how can you deal It's going to be intimidating. It's okay to feel like that. It's okay to feel like, oh, this is hard. It's okay to be like, this is not... I'm not like getting this immediately because you're not going to get it immediately. It, it requires changing the way you think about things. So like it, it's going to take practice and it's going to take time. I don't, I, I can't sit here and be like, you're going to snap your fingers and understand it. You might be able to like a prodigy or something and be able to do that, but I couldn't do that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm only speaking from my personal experience, but ultimately like everything worth doing is hard. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you something though. Like anybody watching what I did was, I said, I'm going to do one tutorial a day. They started out super easy, like super easy. I will find the, the, the easiest tutorial because by that time, there were websites that were trying to teach people how to code. So there was this one website where you put up a tutorial every day. And I was rocking with that guy. Every day I would do the tutorial and I had a job. I had a job already. And I, I, and I was learning this on the job, really. So that's, that's one trick I would say. Start out with the easy tutorials, but say, all right, I'm going to spend, I'm going to give myself an hour a day to do a tutorial. Yeah. And and you look up in a 30 day amount of, in 30 days, you will have a lot of different skill sets than you had in that before you started. Also pro tip, at least this helped me. So for me, one of the things that was really hard in the beginning when I was learning how to code was like, I understood like code looks like this. It's a bunch of numbers and letters and stuff and symbols on a, on a text editor. And I knew it turned into the thing I use. And I didn't understand like how this shit turned into that. <laughs> but build things that are like for me, building stuff that was visual was very important. Like being able to create applications that had an interface. Because once I understood, like, oh, this is how the interface is set up. Okay. That then I started thinking, then I started, you know, building when I started building those projects up. Like I said, I didn't really know what the I didn't know what I was doing, bro. Like I was literally in there just putting stuff together. And I think like I would have never had the, the the like determination to make it through learning how to code really if it was just like me writing like web scrapers or not visual. I, like I'm a visual person. I do art and stuff. So like I needed to see things, and that's why I think, I think building I, bigger projects help. I'm in the same boat. That's why Flash 
was really good for me because it was about moving things on a stage and making things happen visually. So just, it was the same idea. I feel like if it was just back end stuff first, I don't think I would enjoy it. And I think that's where I bailed. Once I started getting into the back end stuff, I was like, yeah, I don't want to do this. You know what's crazy? I actually like the back end stuff more though. That's the thing. And I think it, you'll, it depends on the person. You know what I'm saying? I think that there's a lot of people who might be like, they might get into this. Like I've had a lot of students, bro, to be honest with you, that once they learn the whole shit, they're like, oh, I like the back end so much better because it makes sense at a certain point. So, so but I think it's just about getting it to make sense. That's hard. So if you're very new to this, these terms, front end, back end, front end means what you see, back end means what you don't see, but kind of power yeah. is what you do. Yeah. Think of it like this. So I'll use my IG example, because that's like my favorite example to use. It's like, all right, I go on my IG profile. What's happening is I'm looking at my, my little avatar picture and then I got 12, my 12 most recent posts or whatever, right? Now what's happening on the, there's a front end that's, and then the back end is basically, there's a little machine that's, oh, user number X735 is logging in, look up their ID number, give me the, if, and there's a database somewhere in a factory somewhere that is storing all this stuff, the, the pictures that you upload, the text that you upload, everything like that. And there's a little machine in the middle that goes back and forth and gets the stuff and brings it and puts it in the screen. That's why everybody's like profile looks the same. There's only one profile. It's just filling yep. it in with different information depending on the ID number of the person, basically. And it's just loaded different from the back end. So that makes it much more scalable. So, so, all right. So that was a good answer. If anybody else have any questions, definitely ask, but got 10 minutes left. What I like to do is in a, right now you're in the nonprofit space as an entrepreneur. Yeah. I'm trying to come up with this new like ending of the show where I ask you your three current wishes, your business wishes. What are your three current business wishes to see if someone in the audience, maybe one of my connections can make it happen? For Knowledge House, I, like I'm not really big on wishes. I'll tell you what we're planning on doing and, and that I hope it works. Those are my wishes that our plans work. So number one, getting off the grant shit and it's being more revenue based. Like we, we've always been about 40% revenue based, um, mm -hmm. especially in the beginning. Like I had no connections. Gerilyn had more connections than me and she barely had any connections. So nobody was, we were 24 when we started this shit. No one was giving us money. You know what I mean? So like really do it by getting contracts to go to places and teach this stuff. Yep. So, but now we're grant funded and stuff and that's cool, but there's a liability in that, which is you have to report a bunch of stuff that may not really be important to your mission, but you got to do it anyway. Cause it comes with getting the money. A lot and some things go away. You screwed. hundred percent. And I, thankfully Gerilyn, my co-founder is a beast at making sure we got the bread to keep doing this stuff. But ultimately, like I like our goal is to create in-house products, to create a develop a, a dev shop in-house. Like I've I've run a dev shop. I have my own tech consultancy that's dormant right now because I'm focusing more on Knowledge House, and I still take projects from time to time. But I want to actually envelop that inside of Knowledge House and use it as a way to like automatically get all my alums jobs doing contracts, which I've done informally in the past. We're formalizing that process, so that's something that definitely is I, I wish for that to work. You know what I'm saying? So we could be financially independent. Um, the other thing that I wish is, so I have a concept, you've seen this concept. I have a concept to create a system to produce and self fund student projects that will be like for-profit projects. And I'm not going to go too into it because that's like a whole nother conversation, but my wish is to see that come to fruition. That's like my number one. Like once I can make so that happen. What do you think you need to make that happen? 
I think a form a formal process for doing it. So like entrepreneurship training, we've talked about this before. Yep. And then land funding, like seed funding, because the whole goal is to get the machine moving. Because once the machine starts moving, it'll start funding itself. But it's, it needs to get that initial gas. And also obviously making sure that the training, because it's all based on the training. If the training's not good and the people don't know what they're doing, they're not going to be able to make things that make money. And so the machine won't work. But but ultimately, that's like my, my real goal. And I feel like, yo, once I do that and make that sustainable, like TKH is sustainable, that concept exists in the world and is sustainable. Then I'd be comfortable walking away from the shit and just doing my art thing or whatever. Yeah. But that's my wishes for those two. For knowledge has to be sustainable, which could only be possible if we are revenue based. Yeah. Yeah. And then for, for um, you know, the entrepreneurship shit. So as a nonprofit, so we're in the same boat. Nonprofits have to raise money because in the beginning, so if you're an entrepreneur, you're thinking about creating a nonprofit. This is a good thing to understand. Most of the time, things that do good for people don't make money. It's messed up. But that's the way the world works for some reason. So you, you can, can make it make money though. So right now it doesn't make money, but there's a way through technology to make it make money. But people have to learn technology to start doing that. Because like we said back in the beginning, they don't care about the demographic. So if it does good for this demographic and it doesn't make money, then Look, this is the thing that people don't understand. Anything that is a for-profit can in theory be a nonprofit. The only thing is you need to start making revenue right away because no investor is going to invest in something that they're not going to get a return on. So that's where you're constrained. Like an investor is not going to give you something because the way a nonprofit works is if there is profit, yeah, yeah, yeah. it gets put back into the organization in budgets in different ways and new programs and stuff like that. So it's, it's still making money. Like we, we funded ourselves off of money we made. No one was yeah, giving us grants. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. got checks for doing work, yeah. but it's just, I couldn't, it's not like we could pay all, all our teachers. Yeah. And then me and Jay just be like, all right, let's split the difference and keep it moving. Yeah. Like it needed to go back into the organization. But this yeah. is like schools. You gotta think the NFL makes a bajillion dollars. NFL's not profit. Yeah, it's crazy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I don't think like for us, it like my uh mind state for it and Gerald's mind state too is like, yo, this belongs to the community. This is like an institution for the community yep. to utilize as a tool more than it's like my thing or her thing. Yep, yep, it's yep. it's the community's thing. So we're setting it up. I want to make sure that it, it could work perpetually after like we did, but I'm not trying to like do this till I'm dead. I'm trying to do this, set this up so that the next generation can carry it forward. And then I could go and do graffiti in Europe or whatever, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> what I'm trying to do. So it's, I think that anyone who's trying to start that nonprofit, don't be like, oh, I need a grant. Don't think like that. Go and figure out, okay, if I'm doing this service, how do I make this service make money so I could start? Cause once you make the so money, you, you can run more like programs. And if you want, once you start running the programs, then you're in a position to be like, yo, I'm trying to get this grant because I have a track record of doing this shit already. Where if you give me this money, I can help this many more people. So you go to they these want to see their, they want to see your numbers. You're not going to have numbers if you never did anything before. Yep, yep, yep. You so in many ways, a nonprofit is as entrepreneurial as anything. The big yep. difference is the way you start it. It has to be a lot more of your own. Like you're not going to get any investors, like you said, yeah. right? And even with for-profits, you got to think, how can I make money? Because even this startup world is very heavily based on raise money while I accumulate customers. And even that is yeah. starting. I, I think that, honestly, you know how I feel about that. I feel like that is, that may have been true in the early 2000s when we're talking about like mass platforms with millions and, you know, billions of users. Like, you know, look at something like Twitter or like a loss leader like Amazon is, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, where their whole thing is scale and you need to reach like a giant amount of scale before it makes any money. I think in that model, yes, you dependent on C, you're dependent on, on VC funding. You're dependent on someone pouring millions and millions of dollars into your business before it even sees a dollar. 
But I think that not like you got to think there are people who come from other countries and open up businesses all the time. They have no fucking money. So it's like these people are doing it somehow. And the way they're doing it is by charging their customers. The thing is that no one wants to charge their customers. But look, there are platforms right now that are charging people for things and and they're making money. So it's that's a big thing that we can end it after this, which is a lot of people think I need to create a company, a technology platform. Mm-hmm. Not make money because Facebook doesn't make money. Twitter doesn't make money. Instagram, all these companies come out and they don't charge. So I need to do it the same way. The difference that you have to understand if you're thinking about that is they are making money. They're just selling your data. and You don't really understand how. So that's how they make their money. I mean, yes and no. They didn't, they weren't selling, like they weren't doing ads in the beginning and they were selling data, but they didn't have that many. Like in the beginning when it was just in colleges, the way Facebook, Facebook's an interesting example because Facebook is like, this person had a network being in college and was able to spread that through that college network. And those, and this is Ivy league colleges. So these are high net worth individuals who that's a good, that's a valuable market to have to sell things to. Yeah, so it's but, like now investors are like, yo, I'm going to, I'm going to put money into that. Not but you got to look at like historically our community, what works, like who in our community is making money legit. It's people with business, like small businesses. Yep, yep. It's people who are, who are contractors, you know what I'm saying? Who come through and fix your roof. It's people who open little stores and barbershops and shit. Bummer. And they're making money off of every person. That is what works for us. I'm just saying, I'm not saying don't think about getting investment or don't plan on getting investment or like any product that doesn't have a built-in revenue source. It's like bad. I think if you have a plan for it and it makes sense, then do it. If, if you cool with losing money for a while, do it. If you think you got a plug for somebody with big bank to come in and like foot roll you then, then or bank roll you, then do that. But if you want to start a business, don't be like, man, I just got to sit on my hands until... Someone comes through with magic money that's just going to appear out of the sky. Yeah, like so you got to go and do shit. That's an interesting way to really end it, which is right now, a lot of people say, I can't do this because I don't have the money. You have to say, all right, if I don't get the money, how am I going to do this? Certain things like infrastructure and things that like are hardware related where there are some costs, that's where venture capital and investment come in because they give you that money to make that happen. But like mm-hmm. Joe said, you can, you can make that money in other ways and then use it to do it. So just at the end of the day, I, all this content is around, you can do whatever you want to do. It's just right now, you got to figure out what that is and start putting that time in. Code, of course, is probably one of the best ways to start. I know a lot of people that are successful that started out with code, but didn't end there. But then they just understand it and went in whatever direction makes sense. Some people stay in code and do very well. But it's not the only part of this technology game. And you should really be studying that. So there's a good, there's a good book called Most Likely to Succeed, which talks about the future, the way to prepare students and young people and even adults for the economy of the future, which is called the innovation economy. So you really want to make sure you look at COVID and you don't get caught in this ever again, because this could happen again as more and more jobs get automated, more another pandemic. This could happen again. So any final words for the audience, anyway, you know, I know I got your URL for people to contact the Knowledge House, but what else, any final words? Yeah, obviously, if if you know anybody who could use our services, please connect them to us. Like we're trying to, it's a very competitive process. We were only accepting 50 people this time around. So far we had like, we're touching like 200 applications, but we're still taking applications. There's a, a, there's an interview process, a pre-screening process. You got to do pre-work and stuff, but like we're trying to help as many people as possible. We may open it up a little bit more than 50 because we're going to be launching it virtually since the pandemic happened. So definitely check us out. But I think like my only, my my final words to people is just yo, learn, don't be afraid of change because you being afraid of change is not going to help you survive it. 
You just need to be able to like look at the environment as it is and be honest with yourself and be honest, you know, with people you care about and be like, look, if we're going to make it, there's, we got to do things differently. And there's tools uh, and just understand that it's scary, but it's not scarier than the alternative. For sure. For sure. Hell yeah. There's nothing scarier than not knowing where your next dollar is coming from. So if you don't want to start making sure that can never happen to you, start getting in this game because it's not going anywhere. It's going to be a dominant thing. If you don't see it already, it is. Thanks again, Joe, for coming through. We definitely keep talking always. Yeah, let's let's keep rocking. Reach out to Joe. Check out the Knowledge House. And thank you for watching. Yep. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. No problem. Please. And that concludes our show. Thanks again. If you've listened to the podcast this far, hopefully that means you've enjoyed it and it has helped you in some way. So again, I would ask you if you could please subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening to it. And if you are listening to it on Apple, please give me a five-star rating. That will help tremendously with growing everything I'm trying to do. So I truly appreciate you. And I look forward to continuing to help you by creating this content. Thank you.